Um, by way of introduction, uh, my name is Shabri. I'm the founder and CEO of SalesWorks. SalesWorks is a global sales development advisory and enablement company, and we work with hundreds of SDRs and train them from. So prior to um, SalesWorks, I built and led the sales development and inside sales team for Finastra, which is the largest fintech in Europe. I actually started my career as I'm so glad that I started my career there. It enabled me to learn a tremendous amount about people, sales, industry, and ultimately provide me with the tool set to start my own company. So I'm really excited for the event this afternoon. We have over 200 people registered um, and we now enter the fifth week of lockdown. So we've adjusted to the way that we work, the way that we sell and the way that we operate. So today, our aim is to provide you with as much insight into how to still win in today's climate. And we've got five amazing speakers sharing their stories and their insights on how they're doing this. Um, logistical points that I wanted to raise, everyone who signed up today will be automatically added to the event page on LinkedIn, and that's going to be used for attendee engagement. So please like, share and comment on that. We also encourage you to use the hop-in live chat function to ask questions and after the seven-minute talk, all the speakers will be coming back on as a panel and so you'll have the opportunity to engage with them and ask some questions then. And then lastly, from 3.45 till 4, the networking chat room is going to be open and so you'll have the opportunity to network um, toward the end of the event as well. So before we move on to the speakers, um, given the current climate with what's going on, I wanted to take this opportunity to call out um, the six traits of successful SDRs to set the scene for the amazing speakers that we have today. Um, so the first one is passion, and that's what I refer to as the inner fire. And that's when SDRs sound as bright on the hundredth call of the day as they do on the first. And that's passion about company, passion about team, and the passion that actually fuels you to look for ways to improve every day. The second is eagerness to learn. And raw talent only gets you so far. And the top SDRs that we see are open to continuous learning, seeking advice from people, but they're also coachable and curious. The third is accountability, and that's holding themselves to higher standards, both personally and professionally, accountable to that, and then delivering what they say. The fourth is discipline, and that's the inner discipline to stick to the systems and structure. And that's not to say that SDRs can't be creative. I actually think that creativity is a hallmark of all the best SDRs. The fifth is resilience, and the role is tough. I know it, your manager knows it, you know it. Um, and so there's failure that you encounter all the way along. And it's not actually, you know, how often you fail, it's how you deal with that failure that sets you apart. And this can come from highly competitive spirits or optimistic nature, but that's what actually ultimately gets you back up and producing. And the last one is communication skills. And there are two sides to this. The first is how articulate you are and having a point of view and not being afraid to speak up. And then the second is listening, and that's your ability to ask your prospect questions, ask your manager questions, and then listen to the answers. And the reasons that I bring these up, and I, and I wanted to take a couple of minutes to do so, is I've had a number of SDRs reach out to me on LinkedIn in the last two months. And what I see that set them apart is the fact they've demonstrated intellectual curiosity. They're not blaming the current pandemic on their performance. They're owning it. They're accountable. They're owning their personal development plan. They're not waiting around for their manager to give them some training. They're asking what I recommend they use their personal development budgets for. They're asking for recommended podcasts and blogs and webinars. And this period that we're in right now and what you do in this time and how you handle that is actually what's going to set you apart. 
So today we've got five amazing speakers who are going to share their stories and insights on what they're doing right now that makes them stand out and be top of the game. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce the first speaker, um, Corey. Um, Corey's BDR at G2. Corey joined G2 through Vanatrix in July 2019 in their new EMEA office straight out of university with no sales experience. Corey quickly started to enjoy the sink or swim nature of sales and BDR, forcing him to continuously adapt and experiment. And other than work, Corey's a huge foodie. But Corey's one of two BDRs prospecting B2B software companies in EMEA, and he works both with marketing through the variety of inbound channels and with the wider sales team to actively book high-quality prospect meetings. He continually and consistently coordinates with the wider BDR team, of which there are 10, in the US sharing best practices, learning, and never slowing down personal development. So please welcome Corey onto the stage with his talk on personalizing your inner machine. Hi, Shabri, can you hear me? Thanks very much for, for the introduction and uh, thanks to Sales Confidence for, for inviting me to talk. Um, and yeah, as you mentioned, Shabri, my talk is on kind of personalizing your inner machine. And I guess the first kind of question that comes from that is, what do I mean? Um, I guess to kind of make, make this as simple as possible, and there's a lot of info going around LinkedIn and about personalization and personalizing your outreach. So making sure that what you say to your prospects and to, to everyone you talk to on a day-to-day -day is relevant, um, which is great because why not? It works. Um, but what about the flip side? So what about once the prospect actually engages with you, what do you do then? Obviously, you send them to a meeting, but what about after that? What is the process that they go through to eventually, hopefully, become your customer? And I guess my goal of this talk is to try and kind of convince you guys of the importance it is to personalize that path for your prospect and obviously share a bit of insight into into how I personalize my my inner machine. I guess specifically with the account executives I work with uh, here at G2 EMEA. So kind of just to set the stage a little bit to give you a bit of you guys a bit of insight into kind of what my metrics are and, and what the structure is here at G2. So my main metrics are same as a lot of kind of sales qualified opportunities. Um, the overall kind of pipeline that I that I generate for for the team and for my account executives, and then the kind of a more long term goal is is what I source that eventually closes and becomes a customer. So that's kind of what happens. And again, as Shabri mentioned, there's there's two of us here in in the London office for for G two, uh, prospecting for roughly about five account executives in the closing role. And how do I personalize my machine with? with these executives and throughout the, the kind of the, the cycle for my prospects. Um, I've kind of narrowed it down to three main points I think are the most relevant. And the first one is, is very kind of specific to my relationship with my account executive. Um, and I kind of boil it down to kind of maintain that engagement with your prospects. So as soon as you get that engagement, it's a, yep, let, let's chat, let's have a meeting, not to just to stop there, not just to pass the meeting and then forget about it. So the way I work with my account executives, I maintain that engagement with the prospect and with the, the AE throughout the cycle. So if, for example, the prospect starts to go a bit dark and stops responding, I've already built that relationship with that prospect. And then I can just reach back out from a second point to, to really understand if now is still a good time to be having that conversation um, and to really help accelerate and keep the efficiency going with, uh, with, with, the, with the, the conversations. Again, you can be very creative with this. You can also potentially book time in your prospects calendar and try and kind of get their engagement in other ways if you've built that relationship, um, which also works. The second thing which I've done, again, this has only really come to me in the in kind of recent times with the current global situation, and I've kind of coined it the, the BDR bottleneck. Um, 
um, simply because it's got quite a good ring to it. And what do I mean by that? And it's, we're always metriced on, on sending the meeting straight away. As soon as someone says, yes, I want to chat, we, we get into this moment of, yeah, damn it, he's actually, he or she has actually said yes to a conversation. Let's pass it on um, and just get that money there. What I'm kind of thinking about in terms of the BDR bottleneck is actually more of the long game. So maybe saying no, that they're not ready for that commercial conversation. Maybe they're only ready to learn, but not ready to chat about the, the commercial side of what you offer. Um, so creating that BDR bottleneck, I think really creates that trust with the prospect um, to then go back towards that first point I mentioned with that close kind of cooperation with your account executive. So personalizing how you work with your individual prospect and whether you send them to a next meeting or not, um, I think is really key. And this third point is one that uh, I think is probably by far the most important and it's something which I'm continuously exploring and uh, I've not actually explored enough myself yet, but it's something which I think does make a big impact. And I would call that more kind of personality matching. So everyone's got a personality where they're, they're kind of they're data driven. They, they maybe from a sales perspective, they sell more on an emotional side. Um, understanding what your prospect is as a personality um, to help them better consume the data and the, the information you're letting them know um, about your product really helps them both connect with you um, and better understand what you offer. And then on the flip side, kind of helping your AE better sell because you've armed them with the exact types of information um, that they do to sell best, whether they're a data-driven seller or a, or a personality-based seller, and then helping them understand what the prospect is as well to help them better connect with the prospect. So this is something which I definitely want to explore further within my role as well, and I think could make a big difference in terms of getting to the point, making the, the cycle for prospects more efficient um, so that everyone can learn better about the, the product and, and again, get to the answer quicker if, if there is a genuine opportunity there or not. Um, the final, I guess to kind of summarize it all, uh, it's BDR's role is not just a, a top of funnel role. Uh, we shouldn't be very, we shouldn't be short-sighted in the sense that as soon as a meeting is done, then, then that's it. There is this whole inner machine behind where I think we should definitely be involved continuously pushing cycles forward uh, with these prospects and customers and maintain that relationship with the AE and the prospect throughout. And if anything, it's a great learning experience to learn about what your next role might entail as well. So kind of my question to you is to kind of maybe reflect a bit on what your processes are as soon as you've actually uh, kind of put that prospect into the next stage of your sales cycle. What's your process to make sure that they have a great experience and then you can make that as efficient as possible. So that's how I would do my kind of personality in terms of personalizing my machine. Um, hope you guys can, can get something from that and help personalize your own machine as well. Thank you. Um, thank you, Corey. That was amazing. And I have always seen there's a direct correlation between how engaged with your account executive to, you know, actually how successful you are in your role. So um, thank you very much, Corey, for, for sharing that. The next speaker I would like to introduce is Catherine, who's an SDR at Brand Ambassador. So fresh out of the university as of last summer, Catherine is an SDR at Brand Ambassador, which is a SaaS startup in the influencer marketing space. Prior to starting work in sales, Catherine already knew a thing or two about grabbing people over the phone as she used to be a part-time charity fundraiser. She's always found chit-chatting with strangers oddly amusing and ended up raising over £11,000 in telephone donations, so obviously she was doing something right. A fun fact about Catherine is that she was actually rejected for Brand Ambassador, but she found her hiring manager's number, called him back, and the rest is history. So 
please welcome Catherine Corrigan with her talk on If It Isn't Broken, Don't Fix It. Hello guys, hopefully you can all hear me. My mic and my laptop's been a bit temperamental through all of this. So yeah, like Shabri said, I'm going to be talking about if it isn't broken, don't fix it. Um, what I mean by that is basically I am like an old lady of SDR and I do things in a really old school by the books way, but there's so initially when Sales Confidence asked me to speak, I was like, I don't really have any creative insights to give to people because my sales process is so by the books, like I said. In my time, like I've done a few LinkedIn voice notes, got rejected and given up. Um, my personalization is a standard like 10 to 20% of the email. Again, really average. Um, I have no personal brand on my LinkedIn. It's just pretty boring content right now. I did my first post last week and I have booked a grand total of zero meetings via video. So my SDR game is really boring, but nonetheless, I've actually had really good results. And my success at Brand Ambassador has sort of come since I kind of gave up with these experiments. Um, so for the next five minutes, I'm just going to be slating everything that's not a cold call. I'm joking, of course, um, but I'm going to be talking about why it doesn't matter if your SDR game feels kind of unfashionable or not really what other people are doing. What matters is that it works for you. So um, even though 80% of people here will be hitting up their prospects from at least three angles, call, email and LinkedIn, we all know what our own specialism is. Uh, for me, it's a cold call. I actually worked it out last night. 61% of my meetings have been booked on the phone since I started as an SDR. And I'm sure you know what's been responsible for bringing in most of your pipeline. So if most of us have a specialism, why is it that us SDRs always feel the need to be experimenting and trying what has worked for other people? So in order to think about this a bit more, I looked at myself, my own workflow and kind of my history of experimenting as an SDR. Um, so when I kind of used to try out these things like voice notes and videos and calling out of hours, I realized that the reasoning for doing that stuff was actually quite self-centric. So for one, it made my day a bit more interesting. Like if you've had 30 calls and no one's picked up, you send a bunch of voice notes and videos and it feels like it's broken things up for you and made you feel a bit better about stuff. Um, secondly, it was making me feel like I was better at my job because I was kind of going a bit off piste and doing stuff that was creative and new. Um, and also I found, I don't know if you guys think the same, that when I sent these videos, that in itself felt like an achievement. And the results of whether someone replied, whether I got a meeting of it became kind of less important because I enjoyed just sending the videos. And the key thing that unites all of those points is that none of it was really about the prospect. It was about me, what I think makes me a good SDR and what I think the prospect will like. So I kind of started thinking about how as SDRs, we can take that really good experimental mindset, but apply it to the fifth or resulted in your success. Um, so hopefully with some ideas, one experiment that everyone can run. You know, it sounds super boring, but a guy called Blau Batrawi, who's like one of my favorite people to follow on LinkedIn, gave suggestions to talk about what your product means and it does. So if I talk about what Brand Ambassador does, it's a tool that helps brands scale and automate unlimited community of brand ambassadors. 
Blah. It's kind of a bit boring. But what brand ambassador means is working with a thousand plus brand ambassadors. All of them actually care about your brand. They're not influencers. This isn't like their livelihood posting paid ads. They're just people that know and love your brand and want to spread the word. For me, at least, I think that second message hits a lot harder. And my point is just running a mini experiment like that can bring in huge results. Another thing, literally the oldest trick in the book, but, oh, I can see some people are saying I've gone off screen. Okay, hopefully I haven't for everybody. Um, but yeah, oldest trick in the book is letting the prospect do most of the talking. Um, I know that this is really, really old school. If you've read How to Win Friends, Influence People, number one thing. But don't be afraid of following that rule because it's old fashioned. Third and final tweak that everyone can make, no matter whether you're an emailer, caller, LinkedIner, videoer, whatever kind of an SDR you are, everyone can edit their call to action. So shout out to my friend Jovan here. Maybe he's listening. Maybe he's tuned out of boredom right now. Um, but Jovan came up with the idea of reverse engineering your call to action. So what he would say to prospects on the phone is, would it be a really bad idea for us to catch up later in the week? And some kind of like voodoo reverse psychology shit has gone off in the prospect's mind and made them say yes to that meeting. You don't have to use that example exactly. But again, my point is that these are just minor tweaks that you can make to your process to improve things without overhauling a successful strategy that's been proven to work for you. So I think I'm coming towards the end of my time now. Hopefully that was helpful. But to wrap up, you know, one of the best things I think about being an SDR is that we've got this community of people who can share advice, show what's working for them and try new strategies. And that's really great. But don't forget that you have a bulk of opportunity that's worked for you. You've got a bread and butter of prospecting that's brought in 50 to 60% of your meetings. And no matter how like unglamorous or unfashionable that might feel, if it works for you, stick by it. Um, so hopefully that was helpful. I'm kind of going to linger here now until Shabri gets back. But I hope you guys are keeping your pipeline healthy and happy prospecting. Thank you. Thank you so much, Brilliant, um, and some great tips, actionable tips for um, for people on the call. So the next speaker that we have is Charlotte Neal from Reward Gateway. Charlotte is a self-proclaimed Spotify addict, a lover of G&Ts in the sunshine. Charlotte, that's something you and I have in common and a big yoga lover. So Charlotte actually started out as a former journalist covering local, national and international news. She then later made the move into employee engagement technology and service after five years. Charlotte is passionate about creating conversations, de developing relationships and supporting business leaders, HR and reward rebels and change makers with engagement strategies and delivery using benefits, discounts, recognition, communication and well-being. Since then, Charlotte has become really well known for her Be Human approach to sales. Please welcome Charlotte Neal with her talk on six steps to get your outbound emails noticed, especially during COVID-19. Hi everyone, I'm Charlotte at Rewards Gateway. There's been a bit of a tech problem this afternoon, so I've recorded my talk as a video and hopefully it's still just as helpful <laughs> um, and you find it interesting. So I thought before I got started on my six steps to getting your outbound emails noticed, I'd talk a little bit about the background with Reward Gateway and me. So RG is a SaaS private equity backed business looking to grow about 20% year on year with around 40 million pound yearly revenue. 
We sell employee engagement tech and service to HR, with some of our clients including McDonald's, Tesco and Royal Mail. While my title is Employee Engagement Specialist, I'm very much an SDR working with enterprise organisations. The, the reason we choose to call ourselves Employee Engagement Specialist is because we want to stand out, be different and be a trusted advisor for our prospects. Our sales structure is quite unique in that we have a research team, an SDR team, and then your AE and consultants. So I joined the business about two years ago. Um, I previously was working as a news reporter for the Daily Mirror. So it's safe to say that I'm a word nerd and writing is my passion. It's not your average path into sales, I know, but a lot of the skills are transferable and hopefully you'll see that within the talk today. So what if I told you that you could book calls with 43% of the people that you reached out to? I'm really excited to be able to share with you what I've learned with outbound emails and my six steps to getting yours noticed, especially at the moment with COVID and our prospects are drowning in emails and calling is really challenging. Your email matters more than ever. So a lot of the inspiration for the way that our sales leaders coach us comes from Seth Godin's Purple Cow book. It's all about how can we stand out? How can we be different? So let's get going. Here is what I've learned from selling into the HR market, but the concept is applicable across all sectors and all verticals. So step one, personalization. Digital marketing experts estimate that most Americans are exposed to around 4,000 to 10,000 adverts each day. People are sick of it. Think about the sales emails that you've received where it's clearly a robot. You delete them right away, don't you? And the answer to getting yours noticed is simple. Do your research and make it personal to your prospect. We're super lucky to have a research team and I know not everybody does, but there's a lot of places you can look to quickly make a difference. So things like annual reports, looking at their LinkedIn, see what their priorities are and Googling for recent news. Step two, front loading your emails. Buyers are being sold to all the time. They probably scroll through their phones, they don't read a full email. We've all been there, especially when we're busy. So when writing news stories, the top line has to have all the important information in it for the same reason, and that is to catch attention. Papers make money from advertising, and to make money from advertising, they have to deliver on page views and how long people read their stories which means they have to entice people from the headline and top line to keep their attention for the rest of that story. And the way that this is structured is called the inverted pyramid theory. And what I've learned is that this can be applied to your sales emails. Everyone's favorite subject is themselves. So if you lead with personalized research and get them hooked, the rest can follow. So a little example of this, instead of saying hi, which is what everybody does, I sometimes open with, congratulations on your new role, Helen. I'm sure with the focus on engagement at the moment, which I read about in your annual report, it's an exciting time to join the business. Moving on to step three, the power of three in your subject line. When you see a boring subject line in your inbox, what do you do? You delete it. And we don't want that to happen. So we've got to make our subject lines really sing. What I've learned is to use the power of three. So the first word or two is connected to your research. So store openings, for example. The second is your why. Why are you getting in touch? Engagement, for example. And the third is something human. I like to use something like, and a proper hello. So the subject line would read, store openings, engagement, and a proper hello. Show that your email has purpose, pique their interest, get some results. 
Now, step four, be a human. I touched on this with the subject line, but like I said earlier, you're not going to reply to a robot, are you? If anyone has watched Jeff Bloomfield on LinkedIn Learning, you'll know the phrase that people buy from people they like. There's no need to ask, how are you? You don't know them personally. Nobody cares about that. But things like, I hope lockdown life is treating you well. Personally, I'm loving working with my slippers on. It shows that you're a human being. It's a level of personality and vulnerability that makes your prospect feel safe. And if it makes them laugh, bonus, they'll like you. Step five, use video. I know what you're thinking. I don't have time to make a personalized video for each of my outbound leads. And that's what I thought too. But when those conversions increase, you'll see that it's worth the extra effort. Tools like Drift make it really quick and easy to record a video. And it gives you that opportunity to demonstrate your likability, credibility, research, and how you can solve a potential problem your prospect has really quickly. Simon Sinek said, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And video gives you the chance to show your why. The golden rule though, keep it to under 90 seconds if you can. I read somewhere recently that the human attention span online is between two and three seconds. So respect that they're busy, respect their time, don't send them an absolute beast of a video. Step six, call killer call to action. I was reading a blog on Very Good Copy, which is by Eddie Schlener over at G2. And he talked about involving people in your CTA. We all like to feel in control of our own destinies, right? If you're like me and you don't like being told what to do, someone asking you for your opinion feels way more empowering. Ask them what their thoughts would be on setting up some time to speak. It's really easy for prospects to say no when someone is asking for 15 minutes of your time. But people love to say yes when you make them feel that you're a credible voice in your space who could share ideas but also learn from them. Everyone's favourite subject is themselves, remember, and people love people who listen. So to summarise, my six steps are personalisation, front-loading your emails, power of three in your subject line, be a human, use video, and a killer call to action. Thank you. Thank you very much, Charlotte. Um, next up, on a similar sort of theme, we've got Ben Smith. And um, Ben is the B ReachDesk. ReachDesk is a sending platform to help sales and marketing professionals cut through the noise with direct mail and e-gifts. Before ReachDesk, Ben toured as a professional ice skater for Disney on Ice, but is currently enjoying building a sales development team at a fast-growing startup. So please welcome Ben Smith with his talk on personalization versus automation. Hey, Shabri. Thanks for the introduction there. Yeah, so what I want to talk about is personalization versus automation. Um, I've been running some, some uh, calls with other SDRs and BDRs, and a lot of the time it comes up in conversation, how do I balance my time with personalizing um, and automating? So I know that Catherine spoke about sticking to a channel that you're really comfortable with and, and know how to use. And I think that's fundamentally really important. But there's also never been a better time to really talk about uh, learning about different channels that can really get your message seen. So questions that I've been hearing is, um, how do I really do that? And the key points I want to take away from this is how to take a targeted approach, when to automate, and when to personalize. So it's a really great time to start working with your customer success um, and marketing teams to find out the questions and challenges that your current customers are asking and facing. Once you know those challenges, then you can understand uh, how to build out a list based on persona. You can take a really targeted approach to, to that. You can also use great intent data tools um, like G2, Leadfeeder, Zoom Info, 
Um, and another tip that I've been using with my BDRs is to start using content searches on LinkedIn. So if you understand the questions they're asking, um, you can start to then put those into content searches on LinkedIn. It then builds up a really great way of finding out who those prospects are that you can start to prospect and really target. Um, you can also then go back a step and start asking people that you've helped before what questions they're asking themselves. They might then know other people in, your ne in their network that you might be able to have a conversation with and that help out as well. Um, and you also want to be finding those looks on uh, hooks on LinkedIn that you can start to open up a conversation. So when do you automate in a time like this? I actually say very rarely should you be using automation right now. Maybe in email cadences, that's a great way that you can start automating those, um, those emails out. But generally, I think that we should be taking a really personalized approach to our outreach and showing our prospects that we really care and understand what they're going through. A lot of people talk about empathy right now, and I think that is so important. But how do you take that empathetic approach without truly understanding the questions that they're asking? So if you are going to do an email cadence or enroll people into emails that are just being very generic and persona specific, I think that you need to really um, try and, and up the creativity in those email sequences. There's nothing wrong with using GIFs. There's nothing wrong with creating a story and a journey for that buyer that you're going to take them on. So what I really want to talk about is when to personalize. Now, if you talk to a marketer, they're quite, uh, they're probably going to understand the anal analogy of the purple cow. So, you know, if imagine you're in a herd of cows, you've got brown ones, you've got black ones, they all look the same. So how do you stand out and be that purple cow? Now at ReachDesk, we use a lot of direct mail and e-gifting to help do that. But I really want to talk about the moments that you can build this into your uh, sequences and the moments that you can start to personalize your outreach through using physical direct mail and e-gifting, but also using other tools like vi videos, um, using LinkedIn for voice notes, using uh, LinkedIn for sending that video message. Because as BDRs, we should be creative and finding that channel that your prospects want to communicate on. So the things that I look for are job moves, promotions, rather than every other prospect, um, or sorry, every other BDR, just dropping a personalized connection request saying, hey, congratulations on the job promotion, um, I'd love to connect. Why don't you do something a bit different? Why don't you send them uh, a flower to brighten up their desk or a book that might help with their new role? Say, so I understand that you're probably looking for new ways that you can help this new team grow. I thought this book would be really interesting and relevant. Um, imagine you're talking to a prospect who just has a baby. You know, that can really impact pipeline. And um, you need to find that next person to have the conversation with. So in the handover, make sure that they introduce you to that next person. You know, send them a baby grow and say, look, we're excited for, for you and the family to be having this baby. Um, we want to continue the conversation when you're ready uh, and back to work. These are really difficult times and many people and prospects have been furloughed. So how can you be there for those people? It's still worth having the conversation with them. But what we like to do at the minute is send them some lunch vouchers. Say, look, I know this is a difficult time for you and the family. Just wanted to send you some lunch on us to hope uh, to, to help where I can. I always like to bring this back to a real life situation as well. So imagine you're at the bar. You see an absolute 10 out of 10. So in all of your years of dating, you've never seen such a, a perfect person that you want to open a conversation with. Do you go straight over there and ask for a, for a date? Do you ask them why they're single and what their problems are? Or do you find out what they're drinking, buy them a drink, introduce yourself and leave your number so they can get in touch with you? Um, I think that's just a really good perspective on, on when you can 
when on how you would offer um, that first conversation. So if I bring that back to LinkedIn, you see a tier one prospect on LinkedIn that you've never spoken to before. So what do you do? Do you ask for 30 minutes of their time? They don't even know who you are. Do you ask them what their problems are and then bring a solution to the table? Or do you find out what they're interested in, send them a gift and leave them your details so they can get in touch with you? So I think I've talked quite enough, but what I wanna leave you with is that people won't remember what you say or what you did, but they will remember the way that you made them feel. So if you can make someone feel something, then hopefully it'll help you keep that pipeline going. Thanks everyone. Thank you, Ben. Some great, some great tips there. And I know that I've been lucky enough to be on the receiving end of, of some e-gift cards, which I think have made a massive difference. So um, thanks for sharing your actionable insights again there. The last talk that we have today is Tom, uh, Tom O'Connor, SDR at Self Confidence. Tom was the very first self-confidence employee jumping ship into the chaotic work routine of a startup straight from finishing his A-levels. He sold out 2019 SAS Growth Conference four weeks in advance and has not only nailed it in marketing, but is also smashing it at the top of the leaderboard of their sales team. Not even mentioning the fact that he set up his own business, turning over 200K at the age of 17 from his bedroom. Please welcome Tom O'Connor onto the stage with his talk on the importance of self-development as an SDR. Hey, Shabri, can you hear me? Yeah, can hear you. All your, all your time. Thank you. Thank you so much. So I want to start off by giving you a little bit of a background. Um, i take you back two and a half years ago. So two and a half years ago, I was in my first year at sixth form. And I was looking at ways to make a, bit, a little bit more extra money at the time. So... I had a part-time job, but it wasn't really cutting it, to be honest. So I was looking at other ways I could make more money. And so after a bit of research online, I came across the business model of e-commerce and buying and selling products online. So I started listening to people in the industry and hearing some of the processes that they were following. And I eventually, through a bit of research, found a gap in the market in the men's jewelry niche. So after I identified the gap in the market, I instantly jumped on this. Um, I started learning from people who were successful in the industry for a lot of their free content. And yeah, so I just started, I, I learned the basics of social media marketing, setting up a brand and setting up a Shopify store. So after a while, I, I had everything set up. Um, obviously, I still at school at the time. So it, it took a little while, but it was more like a side project for me. Um, so once everything was set up, I then started to invest my own money into advertising. And to start off, um, to start off, like, I, the, the results that I was getting straight off the bat were pretty good. And over time, I started to make a decent amount of profit. So during a couple of months after that, I sort of fell into this slump where I really struggled to scale my sales past a certain point the possible ads that I was running um, then became breaking to the break-even point. Um, I then came to the break-even point and then eventually I started to lose money. So I had to take a step back from the business um, and sort of, yeah, so I took a step back. Um, I realised what was going wrong. Um, I realised it wasn't the product, it wasn't the market and going off the other competitors in the industry. Um, I, I could clearly see there was a market for my product. And I realized the problem was, it was me. I, lived, I literally just didn't have the right skills at the time. So 
then I decided to start taking this business more seriously and turning it from a side hustle into my full-time project while still managing my A-levels at school. So eventually I started investing my own money from my part-time job at the time and some of the profits I was making um, into my online business. And I started learning from the people who were, who were pioneers in the industry. And after like attending a few of their courses and paying money for mentorship and coaching, I instantly saw the results. And then it soon got to the point where I was making from 400 to 1500 pounds a day and sell my course to become one of the most successful brands in the industry. Um, and then by the time I was 18, I managed to turn over 200k from my bedroom. So that's, that's my story in terms of building my business. And then after that, I sort of hired a few freelancers and had the business running and all. Uh, I had loads of friends going off to uni at the time, but it wasn't really for me. So I then decided I wanted to get a job in social media marketing. And through my school's alumni, I came across this guy called James G, as you know, as the CEO and founder of Sales Confidence. And instantly he hired me. I told him about my story and my background in building a business. And he hired me on a four-month project to sell out tickets to Pasco 2020. Fast forward four weeks before the conference, like Tabby said, I managed to sell it, sell it out with 350,000 revenue leaders in the room, and it was a huge sellout success. So I want to go back to the sales slump that I was in um, with my business, because I really think this applies to sales, especially during the current climate right now, when you're having to work from home, you might be struggling to find that motivation, You've got deals being pushed back and you're getting rejected more than ever before. I think it's really easy right now to fall into that sales slump. And a lot of you, the vast majority of people in working in sales will find, eventually find themselves in this situation. So what I learned through my own experience in sales and joining, joining sales and also from my own business is that in order to get out of the slump, it, the only way to get out of it is just through hard work and determination. One of the things I learned through um, a fantastic founder, James G, is that when you're in a challenging situation right now, the only way to get out of it is by focusing on your A game. And also, also just go back to basics, follow the process. And right now, like, depending on what marketplace you're in, you might, you might, you're probably, most, chances are most likely you'll find it that's really slow. So this might mean, like Gabriel was saying earlier, you've got to take accountability for it. Everyone's in the same situation, and it might mean you might have to build twice the amount of pipeline before and do twice the amount of outreach. Also, I think if you're struggling to get the results right now, you also need to take a step back. And this is something I learned from my own experience, as I mentioned earlier. Um, you've got to find out what your weaknesses are. So at Self-Confidence, we're really lucky to use a tool called Refract, which allows us to listen into our tools. And we dedicate time once a week to listening to each other's calls from the previous week and we provide each other with some constructive feedback. And this is going to literally a game changer for us in terms of our own learning and development and also for the new SDRs who have joined us in terms of their onboarding and then getting them up to speed. So I think once you've also found out what your weaknesses are in sales, um, you should then start to look at external areas to developing these. So what I learned from my own experience was as soon as I sort of took a step back, found out what my weaknesses are, I then honed in on these and started investing in external areas, learning from the top people in the, in the industry and how to get better in these areas. And this is what really 
and took me to that next level. And it really applies to sales. So especially at the moment, I think when you have that downtime and you're working from home, while I think it's really important to blend your personal life with the work life, um, you can also use, make sure you're utilising this time and taking full advantage of it to invest in your own personal development. Now, some of you at your company might have personal development budgets. And if you do, you need to make sure you're using them. There's no better time right now to be investing in your personal development. Um, but also, I think if you don't have the budget, or if you do, um, you need to take yourself seriously and be prepared and willing to invest your own money as well, not just your budget. If you really want to be serious about it and get the, start getting the results that you want. And also, I think a lot of people attending this webinar are going to be you know, looking to move into that AE role, because typically if you're an FDR, BDR, an, AE, an account executive is the next row up. So what it really comes down to is what are you currently doing right now to differentiate yourself from everybody else in the business? Um, are, have you got any coaches? Have you got mentors? Are you attending webinars? Are you investing in your personal development to take courses? Um, one of the things for me at Self Conference, uh, luckily enough, we just launched our membership. And it's literally given me access to the top 50 sales leaders in the UK and short masterclasses, coaching and mentorship from all these leaders. And it's really taken myself from here to the next level. And I think investing in your personal development is really what's going to separate you from being just an average uh, SDR or BDR in the company to being a top performer, matching that at the top of your leaderboard. So going back to the first three points I was highlighting, going back to the slump, I think, one, you need to notice that you're in the slump. Um, and then two, realize, you've got to realize the only way to get out of that slump is by hard work, focusing on your A game, and also going back to basics and focusing on the right processes. Um, the second one would be find out what your weaknesses are um, and then speak to your colleagues, ask them for listening to some of your, some of your calls, get them to coach you and also utilise your, your leaders. I know in the situation right now it may be hard to work remotely but it's really important you keep that relationship and that communication in, within your team and once you find out what these weaknesses are, invest in your personal development and really hone in on these areas to improve. And then finally, you really need to take it seriously. If you really want to get those results that you dream of, it's really important that you're differentiating yourself from everybody else in the business and then acting on this. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to your questions. Thank you, Tom. That was a really inspirational talk. Um, so thanks for sharing your, your personal and professional um, success with, with the group. So we're actually now on to the questions and we've had an amazing amount of questions that have come through. So I'd like to invite all of these speakers back onto the stage um, so we can do a panel style Q&A. Hey, Ben. Hello. I'm here. Hey. Hey, Catherine. Hello. Hey, Corey. Yeah. And just waiting for Tom. So, um, just waiting for Tom, but before he joins, um, I wanted to start with the first question, which was actually aimed at yourself, Corey. Um, and that is, how do you deal with development outside of work? Great question. Um, so important. I guess the investment that happens now is, is the reward that happens later. Um, I guess one thing which I do, which I think is, is quite interesting, is that I mean, everyone's looking to read books, right? Uh, at least, well, there's a lot of people I'm, I'm, I speak to do. Um, 
always trying to kind of get little little kind of nuggets of information here and there of different processes and different things that work. Um, but the the main issue, which again I definitely found, was that a book takes a while to read, even if you're pretty efficient at it, um, which I'm not. Um, it takes a long time. So I came across this really cool app uh, called a subscription service called Blinkist. I'm not sure if people know of it. Um, again, it kind of digests uh, entrepreneurial business related books uh, into kind of 15 minute snippets, uh, especially kind of pre the, the current kind of global situation. I used to listen to one on the way to work and one on the way back uh, in the tube. Um, and that was the easiest way for me to kind of find that time in the day uh, to really have that, that personal development and kind of get then further relate that to, to what my job is as an SDR as well. So that's one thing I, I definitely do really well and like to do more. Amazing. I love Blinkist. I use a similar app called Headway. So, um, you know, those are some good recommendations yeah, yeah, well. for, uh, for people. Um, Catherine, what, what, what about yourself? What do you do outside of work for or development? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I think making really good uh, bonds with your team members, making sure that everyone in your team gets on super well. Like at my company, we've got great culture. We hang out loads outside of work, sadly not at present. Um, but it's good to build up those relationships so you can have a proper friendship there and be able to tell each other, yo, that call went really bad. What the hell were you doing? Um, and you all learn better when you have a more authentic relationship with each other. Okay, brilliant. Thank you. Um, the next question that we've got, um, and Ben, I'd like to start with um, with yourself on this one, is where's the line between being relaxed and relatable and not being professional? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think ultimately we always want to be professional, but it's no reason that we can't have fun whilst doing it. So as long as there, as long as you're always re relating it back to a business need and a business objective, then that's fine. When I spoke about um, those hooks with with reaching out to somebody because of a job promotion or because they've gone on maternity leave, then these are all things which are business related as well. Um, so they're, they're a great way that you can combine those two together um, and have some fun. I think, you know, with, with more channels like LinkedIn, opening up their video, their voice messaging um, options like that as well, then the line is becoming a bit more blurred. You know, we, we're in ways um, you look at how the B2C market does things. They're, they're very creative and very they, they get in front of, of us as the consumer in, in a really creative way. And I think the B2B world needs to go more in that direction because ultimately that's that's how we buy. You know, I, I don't want to get a blanket, a blanket email that's been sent out to everyone. Um, I'm not going to reply yeah. to that. But if somebody has done some research on me and shows knows what I'm interested in, then it's a great way to, to have those business and non-business uh, conversations. Yeah, absolutely, thank you. Corey, same question to you. What, what, what do you think the line is between being relaxed and relatable and not being professional? I think it's a really cool question. Um, and it's one which I'm always trying to, to an extent, push the boundary a bit. Um, I think it kind of, you take it in a few different ways, right? So it depends who you're targeting. So to give some perspective, my kind of persona that I usually go after is typically uh, marketing and sales leaders. Um, and again, sometimes customer success, but rarely. Um, and they're generally quite fun people. Um, I guess, especially when you compare them to kind of more like a financial analyst uh, in general, won't have as much of a uh, kind of the same personality as put it that way. So I guess the boundary is a little bit further on. Um, so you can push it a little bit further. And I think kind of to your point, Ben, there's, there's no reason why you can't be professional the whole time. Um, and then while still kind of having a bit of fun as well. 
I think the more uh, you can be with your prospect, the more kind of authentic you are, the more of a friend and a human you become. Um, it's, it's about building that relationship. Um, and once you've built that relationship and you've built that trust with the prospect, then, okay, fine, then it's down to the product, but then they'll choose you over someone that is exactly the same product as you just because they view you more of a friend than, than the other random person who sent the blanket email. Yeah. One one thing that I'll, I'll passing out on that is when I started as an SDR, I was selling into um, banks and sort of big high street banks like Barclays, Lloyd's, Santander, and we were selling to C-level. So, you know, my I, I had taken the assumption that you have to be serious and you have to, you know, not have that personable side to you because you're having a serious conversation with someone really senior at a big organization. And actually, I think that goes to, and unfortunately, Charlotte can't be on the panel, but that goes to Charlotte's point around be human, right? And then you talked about um, uh, people by some people they like and they remember how you make them feel. And so I think this whole perception that you have to be serious and you have to be, you know, you know, 100% professional 100% of the time. I just think it's about like letting your personality shine through and um, not really about being professional and unprofessional. Um, but thanks. Thanks for sharing your responses. And um, the next question and, and Tom, I'll start with you given given the focus of your talk is um, it was a question from one of the audience members about do any of the speakers have side hustles still or is everything focused on their role with their company? Yeah, so um, like I said, I've still got my business running um, and I've hired enough freelancers to keep it going in the background um, while I can still focus on my role because my role is my priority at the minute. Um, but I think it's really important to use the skills that you that you learn through your career and also create side hustles as well as just like an extra income stream um, to make more money. And as well, find out what you're passionate about and sort of see if there's any ways and do some research any ways you can monetize this i think is really beneficial um in terms of having a having a side hustle okay anyone else on any thoughts or insights about side hustles and and how that can be managed yeah so i think it's it's important to always put your your job first you know like you should always be dedicated to to the company that's paying you on a monthly basis um but you can also, I don't have any side hustles at the minute, but I do help out with the SDRs of London, um, which is another great community for SDRs based in, in London to really get involved in, and help with their sales career. So definitely take it, even if you don't want to get involved with a side hustle, having different interests, which help accelerate your career is a great, great thing to be working on as well. Yeah, amazing. Thank you. Um, this is a question for Catherine. Um, you have a great energy. What's your secret and what do you do to help manage your wellbeing? Uh, I don't think there's any secret as such. I think this is literally just my personality um, kind of vamped up for the sake of sales. Um, I am lucky to always be quite positive. I don't really get too down um, or occasionally I'll get a bout of being in like a bad mood or I'm like, ah, today's been a really bad day, but it's not really very long winded. I think to answer the question about maintaining positivity, it's so good to remind yourself about times you've been successful. Like sometimes if I've, if I don't really feel like doing calls, I'm not really in the mood for it. You can listen back to a call that you know ultimately resulted in them buying the product. If you've got like sales off or something where you've got copies. Um, and I recommend you make a note of the the call link in whatever you use to record your meetings anytime you're not feeling it go back and listen to one that succeeded and it reminds you that this process does work you're going to have people 
that don't want to pick up, but you're going to have people that pick up and end up buying the software. So just remind yourself that it does work, even if you're not feeling it on the day. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, next question, which I'm going to ask uh, to yourself first, Corey. Um, how do you start the day? A great start can lead to a great day. And have you got any um, tips or hints on how to hit the ground running? Wow, big question. Um, <laughs> I think kind of going back to, to Blinkist, um, the one thing that I find is, again, I like to think of myself as a morning person, but in reality, I don't think I am. Um, but that said, I, I still want to get out of bed. I still want to kind of get going and grinding in the day. Um, the thing with Blinkist is that it, it switches my mind. So um, as soon as I listen to that first kind of 15 minute, very entrepreneurial, uh, kind of very uh, kind of results focused podcast to an extent, um, that definitely tunes me in into, into what this day is going to be. It kind of gives me a focus for the day, like a very specific topic, um, kind of a thought to keep going for the day. And that's definitely one thing that really gets me in a great mindset um to then grind and just get get the job done effectively um i think one thing not so much at the start of the day but throughout the day is breaks um i am awful at it um but i'm doing my best to get better at it and it's just taking five ten minutes every now and again um i think especially in kind of the sdr bdr role um it's to an extent very activity metric so it's very much like the more you put in the more you get out um but i think again going back to what you mentioned catherine about kind of the kind of keep taking care of yourself and keeping that mental well-being going. Um, kind of taking those breaks can definitely boost up that performance in the long run. So I think that's something really key, both at the start of the day, but also throughout. Amazing. Thank you. Um, I'm going to move on to a question for from Robert Shepherd. Um, and Ben, I'm going to I'm going to ask you this because I think you've got a lot of good insight from some of our previous conversations. Um, as SDRs and CDRs, how do you align with marketing or do you align more with marketing over sales? Yeah, it does vary from company to company. In my opinion, uh, sales and marketing should always be very much aligned. Um, I see marketing as, 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 as a division in the company that really helps enable sales to have those conversations. Um, a lot of the time we talk about account-based marketing, where you work with marketing to specifically target that account. I think we're now moving more towards account-based experiences. So how do you really work with your marketing teams to, to not only just get in front of these customers, but then also nurture them uh, and work with them when they do convert into a, into a customer. So I th personally feel like sales and marketing should be very much um, aligned. They have great knowledge that us as BDRs can learn from them, but also we need to be feeding them that information that they can go away with and work on those campaigns that are going to help us to get in front of those, those decision makers. Brilliant. And there was actually a webinar I saw last week that um, was run by Beck Holland from, from Chorus, and she talked about seven actionable steps that you can do to improve that alignment. And they were sort of redefining your ICP, talking about how you build a declined lead process and things like that as well. So um, that's another resource for, for people on this um, webinar who are looking to get more, more insight onto that. Um, Tom, a question from James Slavin. Um, how do you manage rejection? Any tips? So yeah, from handling rejection, um, obviously at the time, at this point in time, you're getting a, you might be getting a lot of it at the minute just because of the current climate. Um, but my way of handling this is I don't really tend to get too attached to deals. So I think when you get too attached to deals, that's when you sort of get into this mindset of like if if they were to fall through then you get then that can really like knock your confidence 
So my way of thinking of it, like every deal, I'm not getting too attached to it. Obviously, you need to be like to make the push the deal through. But I generally like my top tip is literally just don't get attached to your deals. Okay. All right, Catherine, anything you want to add on to that? Um, I think it goes kind of in the similar thing I said, remind yourself that your process does work. Um, you're going to get five no's before you get a yes, but that is just part of the game. Look back on your old results, listen back to your old calls. Um, and I think the idea of not getting too attached to a deal or to a particular prospect is super valuable as well. That's a good insight from Tom. Amazing. Thank you. We have a question from Shane Ferris. Um, and Ben, given the topic of your talk, talk around personalization versus automation, um, I'm going to start with you on this one. But Shane's asking, as a SDR or BDR, um, he's always been told seven touches or 12 touches as part of a cadence. What are your thoughts on this? And is there a line where you can cross and become annoying? Yeah, I really don't have a one shoe fits all answer for this one. I mean, ideally, we want to get in front of that that buyer as soon as possible. So. For me, I'd love to be able to do that in the first touch every time, but that isn't always the case. So I think this goes back to just working with sales and marketing and, and on that alignment. Um, if you can work with marketing to really build up those touches before um, before you have that interaction. I mean, we, we don't have a marketing team in such at reach desk. So a lot of that outreach that I'm doing is basically just trying to get, get in front of them as quickly as I can. I think, you know, on a, if you're going down the cadence route again, I think, as many touches within that 30 days is, is a good amount. But yeah, I, I just find out what channels they're, they're really on ultimately and how they like to engage. And then it will give you the better chance to, to break through to them. Great. And um, what about yourself, Corey? What, what do you think is the line, if there is a line that you cross and become annoying um, in your cadences? Um, yeah, it's tough. I mean, I think so much of that is the unknown um, in the sense that, when you think about kind of why are you going to be annoying at the kind of the broadest sense and the, the chances are you probably can never predict that until you have become annoying um, because it's usually down to whatever the prospect's feeling. Maybe it's more of a personal situation they're in or whatever it is that really defines how annoying you're going to be. Um, that said, what we can influence is, yeah, the touch points being a big one. Um, I'd say what I typically do is I try and go far and wide uh, in terms of how many accounts I touch. Um, and then again, kind of monitoring how frequently I touch them, not so much uh, how many touch points I do as a whole. So I wouldn't say there's like a, as Ben mentioned, like a, a shoe that fits all kind of 10 touch points or 12 touch points for a prospect. But I mean, typically I don't try and email someone more than once at most twice a week um, in terms of emails and again, calls maybe twice, twice, three times. Um, one thing, again, I don't know how, how frequently it happens, but I do see that sometimes uh, prospects start to memorize my phone number. Uh, and then it becomes against me because uh, then they, they don't pick up at all. Um, so I think, yeah, too many touch points is definitely an issue. Um, but I think, yeah, a lot of it is down to just keeping going and going far and wide. Um, if, if they keep your name in their head always, then eventually they're going to reply and get curious. Okay, brilliant. Thank you. So I think we've um, we've gone through all of the questions um, that the audience had. Um, I would like to, on behalf of self-confidence, um, announce the winners for a competition that they ran for sign up to this event. Um, so congratulations to James Beavis, who wins, wins a self-confidence membership. James Marsh wins the lead generation course and everybody else above 10 points wins the um, ebook that self-confidence had talked about. Um, 
there's 20 minutes left of this event. So we're going to open up the networking where you'll be um, paired with somebody random from the audience and you've got an opportunity to um, to talk more on a one-to-one -one basis with other people. Um, personally, I want to say a huge well done to all of the speakers. They did an amazing job. Um, and, I'm, and I can see from the comments on the on the chat. Um, thank you to Self Confidence for asking me to host this event. Um, I've really enjoyed it. Um, this is something that's you know incredibly uh, important and, and close to close to what we do at SelfWorks. And um, for those of you who are looking at training and enablement, whether you're an SDR leader or you're an SDR role, then feel free to um, check out um, upcoming workshops that we're also running. Um, but for now, we will open up the networking events and um, a big thank you again to um, all the speakers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Aubrey. Thanks, guys.